Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Scattered things. The Packers are up 3-0, I saw, in case people are curious about that. I would assume there's no Packers fans here, but you never know. There's even Raiders fans. So, um, so yesterday, uh, IU played Michigan, as you all, I'm sure, are aware. Uh, and Well, for a half, we played them. And then... That's not even a joke yet. And... Uh, uh, it was an interesting game. We did what we do. Uh, we're not a football school, so we can kind of hang for a half, and then the depth overtakes. But what was interesting to me was after the game, uh, they were just talking about the Michigan players, and like a quarter of them are going through one of the toughest times in their life right now. And do you know what the toughest three years for a Michigan player are? Freshman year. Okay. <laughs> so... So, if you're from Michigan, I'm sorry, but uh, it's all I've got. So, we are continuing the series upside down, and it's such an amazing series, because like the, the bumper says, the world tells us something so different, and they say further, that's normal, like it's normal to treat people like garbage, it's normal to be angry, it's normal to hate, it's normal to be selfish, and Jesus says the opposite, he's like, listen, the world is always going to think that's right side up. You are then called to be upside down. And so that's why, through this series, I've been coming from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and, and, man, you can say so much about Jesus, obviously. He's our Savior. He's the Messiah. He, he is God. But he's also such a brilliant speaker. And if you look through the Sermon on the Mount, that's our faith. Like, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. That is upside down. And so I want to continue with that into Matthew chapter... 7 verses 1 through 5. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. As I said, I'm going from the Sermon on the Mount, and most of it to this point is interior. It's your heart, it's your soul, it's who you're supposed to be. And now he goes a little more into how you treat others, how you think about others. And, and as I said, he's so brilliant because. He's not technically saying, hey, he's not saying, don't have judgment, don't be discerning. He calls us to do those things. He even says, you know, you're known by your fruits. You can know others by their fruits. Be discerning, but be loving. And then the brilliant part is he goes on to say, hey, how you treat others, the standard of judgment you use for others, the way that you think about others is how it's going to be for you. Uh, and so sometimes we have a certain standard for ourselves and then a different standard for other people. And he's like, no, no, no. If you do that, it's not the standard you show yourself that you're going to be hit with. It's going to be the one you show others. He calls us to love. He calls us to, to be better. And he calls us to righteousness, absolutely. But righteousness is gained through a relationship with Jesus, not through the rebuke, through the shame, through the hate of others. Tearing other people down does not lift us up. It just is a short-term feel, and that's what the world says. The world's like, hey, if you can step over everybody, if you can kick everybody, if you can make everybody feel bad about themselves, then that's all you got to do. Then you're good. The standard lowers, and so you're okay. And Jesus says, guys, I'm calling you to do better. I'm showing you to do better. And so he gives us this command, and we break this so often. And we break this command, we break this verse, we break this loving 
speech from Jesus. When we think the worst of others. When we only focus on the faults of others. When we only focus on the misgivings of others. When we only focus on, on what others have done in their past. We break it when we judge an entire life by its worst moments. We break it when we input hidden motives onto someone whether we know they're there or not. We break it when we don't consider ourselves in the same circumstances. When we don't try to see through other people's eyes. When we don't try to love. When we don't try to be like Jesus. And as I said, so often, we use a different standard for us because we know our motives. We know our reasons. We know when we have a bad day. We know when our team loses. We know when we're Bengals fans and that's just a daily struggle. We know when we're watching the baseball playoffs and there's no Reds because there's never any Reds. But we, well, actually, there are several Reds on the Mariners, I guess. But we know what we feel. And we know that we are sorry. We know that we mess up. But for others, we can sometimes be so harsh and unforgiving and angry. And yet Jesus says, God will measure unto you the measure you use on others. And so we have to ask ourselves daily. We have to ask ourselves now. We have to ask ourselves in our lives, what do you want? What do you want God to see you? How do you want him to treat you? How do you want him to judge you? How do you want him to... to know you? Do you want him to understand? To show you understanding, to show you mercy, to show you grace? Of course we do. Uh, so it's no surprise that I use quotes. And this week, as I prayed over this, as I poured over this, as I just gave everything I had to this series, to, to what God wanted me to say, to the words that he wanted to come out of my mouth, I decided and I felt called to this each quote is from the same person, from C.S. Lewis. And I make jokes about knowing him, and I did. I'm actually a little older than him. But if for me, uh, as you look through the Bible and you see the, the, each of the, the biblical heroes, the people who really built our faith, obviously Jesus. And then you see the disciples, Peter, John. You, you see Paul. You see all of these people who built it. And then it goes on to, there's John Wesley, there's Billy Graham. Uh, Martin Luther is involved in there. Like, there's all kinds of names we could think of. Fred Rogers, honestly. Because for me, C.S. Lewis is one of those. I see him as more of a modern Paul. Somebody who wrote and came to it logically and came to it and lived his life, dedicated his life to not only living for Christ, but explaining to others how to live for Christ, and why it's the best way. And so I wanted to go to him. And so the first quote I have is, don't judge a man by where he is, because you don't know how far he has come. Uh, I've used an example of this before, because I saw it on Facebook. It's been months now, where someone was talking about being sober for a month. And someone else, a Christian, not from here, but a Christian, replied with, yeah, tell me when it's been a year. And it's like the work that it took to get to a month had to be so intense and hard and it's worthy of praise because a small step is a step forward and it's so amazing. We also see an example of this, several examples in the Bible, but one in particular where a woman, Mary, walks in and anoints Jesus with this expensive oil. Really expensive oil. Like I'm talking, 
I'm talking the, the, the kind of perfume that Jim is going to give his wife this week. Like expensive, expensive. She paid me to stump the But no. Uh, expensive, expensive alabaster oil. And the disciples, specifically Judas, but the disciples are like, that's such a waste. And so they didn't know what he had done for Jesus, what she had done for Jesus, what he had done for her. They didn't know how far she had come, how much she just wanted to pour everything out to him, literally. And, and they were so focused on the moment, they were so focused on that, that they judged her as wasteful when, in fact, she's being generous and giving and loving. And it's so important for us to remember that different people are at different stages, that there's a different way to walk. There, there's, it takes a while for some people. Some of us are raised in the church. Some of us come to it late. Some of us have Christian families that, that encourage us and help us. Some of us have to rebel against non-Christian families and, and come to it on our own. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everyone before we're Christian. He died so that we'd have that choice. He died so that we could find him. He died so that we wouldn't have to go through that. He died so that we could learn, so that we could grow, so we could show grace, so we could be given grace. He died for us. And we can look through the gospel. And we can look through how the Pharisees were one standard of judgment. And they treated everyone like garbage. And they said, hey, you got to be exactly like us or you're done. And how Jesus said, hey, Follow me. Follow me. Work at it. Come to me. Go with me. And each of the disciples were at different stages. Peter, who became the rock of the church and who wrote such beautiful things and taught so much and started so many churches, he didn't start that way. He absolutely didn't start that way. So if you took him at a different point and judged him, you're like, there's no way he's going to do that. Each of the disciples actually came from a different place, but Jesus saw something in them because he always sees more in us. I want to go to verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye and you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So, I want you to picture this literally for a second. I want you to imagine someone with like a tree limb sticking out of their eye. And they're walking up and they see somebody who has like, I don't know, like an eyelash in their eye or something. And they're like, dude, 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 you've got to do what you're, you got to fix this. You got to change this. You got to get that out. And, you know, meanwhile, they're like batting the person in their head with the tree limb. He is not saying here, don't witness. He tells us the opposite. He is not saying sin is not sin. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't be righteous. He's not saying don't live for him. He says all of the opposite of those things. He says to live for him, to seek righteousness, to seek the kingdom of God. But he says to look through the eyes of others. He says to remember that you're not perfect. To remember that you may have something that you need to fix. And so when you're talking to someone, when you're thinking about someone, when you're talking about someone, don't do that. Remember your path too and remember what it looks like. And so often, ironically, whereas other people's sins are obvious to us and they're not necessarily to other people, 
the way that we have those limbs out of our eyes at times is more obvious to other people. Uh, whenever there's a presidential election, I have to basically get off all of social media. Not because of the president stuff, although that's always discouraging too, but because of the way I see so many people from churches so often see something that another candidate does, a candidate they don't like, and say, that person should go away. That person is so wrong. That person is so bad. And then the candidate they do like, it's like, oh, we got to understand him. And it's so discouraging to me because we are called not to be a Democrat, not to be a Republican, but to stand for Jesus and to be that bearer, to show what it's supposed to look like, to, to be like him. I remember a story from the Bible. You guys have probably heard this. David, he was a man after God's own heart, and then he did some really bad things. Adultery, murder, lying. It's pretty bad. And Nathan, God's prophet, came to talk to him, and he told him a story. And it was a parable, and he talks about this guy who uh, a rich person takes his sheep and kills it, and David jumps up. And it's so angry and says, we got to go take that guy down. Meanwhile, the limb in David's eye is like knocking people out. And everyone in that court, everyone saw David and knew what he'd done. And they're like, how in the world does he not recognize that this is about him? And again, I say, Jesus does not say never talk about it. Jesus does not say never witness. Jesus does not say any of that. But he does say, be understanding. Look through other people's eyes. And my next quote from C.S. My own eyes are not enough for me. I will see through those of others. My own eyes are not enough for me. I will see through those or others. If you look through history, I'm on a history kick since I saw Hamilton. Obviously 100% historically accurate. <laughs> and so if you look through history, all of human history. There's a lot of tragedy. I hope that's not a spoiler for people. There's a lot of tragedy. So much of it. So much of it is because people will not try to see through other people's eyes. Because they get so focused on what they want, on what they think, on what they see, that they cannot imagine a world where anyone else is different. And today it's even worse because we're able to unfollow people that disagree with us. And we're able to build this little bubble of the news that we like, the social media that agrees with us, and all this stuff, where we have this little bubble where our view is all that there is. And we stop even trying to see through the eyes of others. And again, this isn't to change what we think, what we feel. It's not to change our faith. But it's to say we've got to remember. We've got to remember that we have to, we're here to see through other people's eyes. And again, this is not Jesus saying, hey, sin's okay. It's him saying, be an example of why. Be an example of what's better. Be an example of the way to heaven. Be an example of my love. And if you're thinking, yeah, but I just, I can't see what they think. Whoever it is. I just cannot make myself do that. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Jesus was and is literally without sin. The only person that can say that. Literally without sin. And yet he came to earth to see through our eyes. There was no requirement that he did that. 
He created, God created everything, Jesus came, Jesus loves us. All of that is for us. But man, the fact that he went that extra mile, the fact that he tried to see through our eyes, that he walked as a person, so that he would understand that he put himself through tremendous torture and judgment and hatred for us. And we say, I can't see through there. He did it for us and then calls us to do the same for others. He calls us to be better. And the world says, no, 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 no. Be selfish. Only look out for your own interests. Ignore everybody else. Work your way to the top. All those things. They say, rush to judgment. Don't wait for facts. Respond quickly and angrily. Hurt other people. Make them feel shame. And Jesus says, guys, I could have done that. I could have easily stood up and said, hey, I don't sin. What's wrong with you guys? But instead he said, I love you so much. Please listen. And then he went on to show every single day how to do it. He even went through temptation. He didn't have to listen to the devil tempting him. He's all-powerful. And yet he did so that we would see how to respond to temptation, so that we would see how to live through it, how to live with it, how to be better. And whereas the world says jump, uh, jump and, and rush and all these things, Jesus says stop. Think. Imagine the world from other people's eyes. Imagine what they must be going through. Imagine what it's like to go through their life and not just their life. Imagine what your life and your words would look like through their eyes. Imagine how that would come across. And whether it's loving and helpful or condemning and hateful. And Jesus says, guys, we are called to be better. And I have an example of this, and it's a passage that I love. It's John 8, 1 through 11. I was kind of torn because another one that I really love is John 4, where he talks to the woman at the well. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus... This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So the Pharisees, the teachers of religious law, they did this very publicly. Had they cared about this woman, had they cared about her soul, they would have done it privately. They did it very publicly to shame her. They ask Jesus, they call him teacher, and, you know, they probably have a smirk when they do it. If they really cared about what he thought, they would have followed what he said, and they wouldn't have been trying to trap him, but they tried to trap him. They wanted to trap him. They wanted to shame her. They wanted to feel good about themselves. They did not care about the righteousness they claimed to have. They cared about making everyone else feel worse than them. And you see how those are very, very different things. And I love Jesus' response so much. Because Jesus always responds perfectly. 
then and now, always responds perfectly in his time, in his way, in the perfect way. And he kneels down, he stoops down, which shows a humility. Because again, he could have towered over them. He could have snapped his finger and they're all gone. But he stoops down and he writes in the sand and there's so much written and theologically guessed about what he writes in the sand and we don't know, but it's so cool. And I love stuff like this. This is why I love Revelation, and I love everything Jesus did, which hopefully isn't a big surprise. But it's so interesting to me to see all of the different thoughts and all of the different possibilities and all the different ways people see this. And so just some of them, uh, some people think that he just drew and waited, like he was letting the situation cool down, and that's possible. Uh, Some people think he wrote down the scripture that they were talking about. Like the actual scripture, the words of God, literally. Some people think that in, in Roman law, this was true, that you would write out your sentence before you gave it. They thought he was writing out his sentence ahead of time. What I think is that he wrote out the name of each of the people who were the accusers and the woman. He wrote their names. Some people think he wrote their sins. I don't think that because that goes against what he does. But I think he wrote their names. He took away their anonymity. He took away their hiding in a crowd of people who were angry. He took away their social media. He took away their angry texts. He took away their emails. He took away all of the the things that they can hide behind. He took away their political parties. He took away everything that they hide behind and said, hey, this is your name. I see you. It's not angry. It's not judgmental. He just wrote their name. But regardless of what it is, the point is, in the face of such outrage and judgment, Jesus paused, and he gave them time, and he prepared his answer. And again, I say he didn't have to, because he was perfect. He was without sin, literally. And he could have said, guys, you're all messing up here. But he stops because he's about teaching. He's about helping. He's about the example. He's about more than the moment. Going to the next part, and you probably know this. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So we see that, and I think the first time we read it before we know, again, most of us have been in church enough that we know this story, we've heard this, we've heard this quote, we've heard all of this, and so it's easy to jump to the end. But if we're just there, and we're just thinking, and we're just reading as it goes, most of us think, well, she still sinned. And yeah, they went about it the wrong way, but she still sinned, like it's still sin. Well, let me give you some more evidence that I purposely left out of the first time I talked about this. Because they referenced the law of Moses. Now, the first obvious point is they bring the woman. I'm going to say this carefully, but two people have to be involved in adultery. So they only bring the woman, which means, and this is talked about theologically, this means that the guilty man was part of the group. He wasn't being thrown in front of Jesus. And why? Well, so if you read the law of Moses, the literal law of Moses that they refer to, 
says that for proof, for conviction of something like this, two witnesses have to come forward. Two witnesses have to have witnessed the act. Not seen the people go in a room alone, not seen them come out of a room alone, not heard about it, literally see it happen. They have to. And so when we look at it that way, when we think about that, when we realize that they literally had to be there, that means at best they had used her to entrap her and to trick Jesus. At worst, she may have been tricked or victimized or whatever else. But at best, these men who claim to be righteous created sin in order to shame someone, in order to judge someone, in order to try to trick Jesus. That is devastating. Devastating because as much as we know that the Pharisees, a lot of the Pharisees really were wrong, they were still religious leaders and you got to hope that they're better. But they were so clouded in their anger over what Jesus was doing and how he was changing things and what he was saying that they couldn't see anything but their own point of view and they justified this. And Jesus showed us how to respond. He said, stop, look, think. Get all the evidence. Look at someone's whole life. Look through their eyes. Think about things as they think about it. Really show love. And as always, again, he had the perfect response. He didn't say sin is fine, but he also pointed out that the accusers were sinning as well. He didn't throw it in their face. He didn't condemn them. He didn't take them in front of a bigger crowd and take away their privileges and take away whatever else. He just said, guys, have any of you ever messed up before? Have any of you ever made a bad choice before? Have any of you ever sinned before? Knowing that at that moment they were. Knowing that through their lives they had. And then he goes down to write again. And then one by one, from oldest to youngest, showing that the oldest are always the wisest of us, they left. They didn't argue their point. They didn't scream out because they knew they had no defense. They knew they'd done wrong, and they go. And I hope, I hope that they changed. Because sometimes, often, when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the gospel, we, we paint the Pharisees all with one brush. And absolutely, a lot of them, really bad, they killed Jesus. Not all of them, probably. We know Nicodemus. There are others, hopefully, that change. And I hope that in this group, at least some of them thought about what they'd done. And they realized that Jesus saw their motives, saw their heart, saw who they were, saw past their bluster. And they knew that they had sinned in order to point out sin, that they had become what they claimed to fight against, then what's the point? What's the point? And so he looked at them, and he saw them. And they caused such damage. But here's what I'm going to ask about that, because it ends kind of happy. I want you to think as if you're the woman. Or I want you to think as if you're one of her family members or one of her closest friends. And I want to ask you this. 
from this point on, ever, would you listen to the witness of any of those men? Would you trust what they said? Would you think that they cared about you? Would you think that they were truly following? No. And so in that moment of sin, in that moment of anger, in that moment of judgment, in that moment of condemnation, they hurt their entire witness. Because they were not looking to save us all. They were looking to be right. They were not looking to help people, to love people, to grow the faith. They were looking to shame. And that woman, who was seen and loved by Jesus, probably never looked at them or listened to them the same. Maybe they came and apologized, but maybe not. One more quote. That is why Christians are told not to judge. We see only the results which a man's choices make out of his raw material. But God does not judge him on the raw material at all, but on what he has done with it, which means that God looks at our lives. That does not mean, as I've said before, that we're free to do whatever we want and then wait until the very end because that's a dangerous game to play. But it means that when we look at other people's lives, we have no idea what their life is. We know ours. It's like tragedy versus comedy. That's an old joke, an old saying. Tragedy is when you stub your toe. And man, that hurts. Comedy is when Sean's walking down the street and falls in a hole. Because it's like, hey, that's funny. Not to Sean, but that's the whole point. Like, we understand the smallest thing we go through. But we look at everyone else as if, you should be perfect all the time. You should be nice to me all the time. You shouldn't have a bad day. C.S. Lewis got this right because he came straight from the Bible. God sees more. Thank goodness. He sees our entire lives. He sees our hearts. He sees our motives. He sees our hopes. And let me tell you this. He does not need us, period, but he does not need us to be his judge, jury, and executioner. He calls us to be his salt, his light, his witnesses. He calls us to be his examples. He calls us to be upside down, to be better, to be more. He calls us to be like him, to follow his example, to listen to him, to listen to his commands, to show them, to be the living embodiment of what it means to go to heaven. He calls us to be better. But we can only see what's in front of us, and we have to remember that. We can only know what we're told, and we have to remember that. But we can see through other people's eyes. We have to try. We have to learn. We have to grow. Jesus recognized the woman. He saw her sin, and he told her to stop. He didn't then beat her down. He didn't scream about it. He didn't yell about it. He didn't use her as an example. He didn't condemn her. He just said, hey, do better. He gave her hope and understanding and showed such great love. And to the accusers, he did the same. He showed them hope, understanding, and love. He taught them. He taught them every step of the way. As I'm nearing my close here, I thought of another quote that I've used before, I think in traditional. Uh, I don't have a slide for it because it just has it. And C.S. Lewis also said this. And he said, 
don't shine so that others can see you. Shine so that through you, others can see him. So often at the heart of our judgment, at the heart of our condemnation, at the heart of our anger, is that we want people to see us as the example, as the way, as the truth. That's not why we're here. We are here so that through us, through our lives, through our love, through our hopes, through our dreams, through our examples, others will see Him. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the faith. That is what we're called to do. That is what upside down means. It means that our lives are meant to be examples of Him. Not of me, not of you, of Him. That's all I got.